The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not Gratitude goes out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI Kansas City Community Radio. This is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. Today on Eco Radio KC, host Terry Wilkie will speak with her guest Rebecca Harrell Tickle, director and producer of the documentary Common Ground, which is showing in, in the Kansas City area. Common Ground explores how many of the problems that make us sick, from cancer to climate change, may be connected to the state of the world's soil. In the second part of the hour, Terry will speak with Ray Archuleta, a soil scientist featured in Common Ground. Ray founded Soil Health Academy, LLC, to teach agroecology principles for improving soil function on a national scale. Ray also owns and operates a family farm near Seymour, Missouri. The premise of Common Ground is that there are three parts to soil regeneration. First, no tillage. Second, use of cover crops, and finally, no use of pesticides. In the final part of our hour, Terry will talk with Kerry Gillum, an investigative journalist, researcher, and writer with more than 25 years experience in the news industry. Kerry is the author of Whitewash 2017 and Monsanto's paper 2021. She is also featured in the film Common Ground to build the case that we farm using chemicals that injure the soil and its life, including our own, because most of corporate America is more interested in creating profit rather than doing the right thing, fostering farms which nourish life. Glenwood Arts Theater in Overland Park, Kansas, has added additional showings of the film Common Ground. You can see it there until December 7th. We're all in this together, and it will take all of us to make the world safe for human habitation for millennia to come. We at Eco Radio are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world. Our goal is to ensure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present for a sustainable future. Now, our show. My name is Terry Wilkie, and today on Eco Radio, we're going to talk about a film that some of you may have seen. It played at the Glenwood Arts Theater last Saturday in the afternoon and Friday night, Common Ground. Our great luck is to have the film company producer present on Eco Radio today, Rebecca Tickell. Rebecca, you want to say hello to everybody? Hi, everyone. It's so great to be on your show today. Well, we we are glad to have you on Eco Radio. Now, I saw your first film, Kiss the Ground, and I have seen Common Ground. They seem very similar to me, these two films. Do you think they're not identical? So how would you describe the difference? 
Well, Kiss the Ground uh, came out in 2020. It was our, I think, our 19th environmental documentary that my husband and I directed, produced, and wrote together. And that really um, it took to the mainstream this idea that we could take the teraton of carbon that we've emitted into the atmosphere, mainly through how we practice growing food and agriculture, and that we can biosequester, we can sequester that carbon through photosynthesis back down into healthy soils. We can build topsoil, we can sequester carbon, we can grow nutrient-dense food, and it took this idea out to the mainstream. Kiss the Ground reached over a billion people. Um, it was shown to the entire USDA, and the USDA credited watching Kiss the Ground with their reasoning for allocating $20 billion to soil health. So that was our, that was back in 2020. And then we realized, um, you know, with Kiss the Ground, it really wasn't the whole story. It really was just touching on the very top line issues of farming and regeneration. And we realized we wanted to go much deeper. And so Common Ground, which um, just came out a couple of months ago in theaters and is still coming out in theaters until it will be on streaming services by Earth Day. Common Ground really, I mean, it's it's a epic journey and you don't have to have watched Kiss the Ground to watch Common Ground. It goes deep into why aren't we doing regenerative agriculture? Why is there a five times higher suicide rate for farmers than in any other profession in the United States? Why are farmers the ones who are suffering the most in our food system and only making eight cents on the dollar? And so we show, well, who are the middlemen? Who are making the profits? Why does the government keep these policies in place, including the farm bill? And what's not working about the farm bill? And we go deep into that. And then we come out on the other side and we show farmers who are proving that regeneration works. And not only does regeneration work to build and grow healthy topsoil, but it also creates healthy farmers. It helps them not be exposed on a chronic daily basis to these toxic herbicides, pesticides, and fungicides, all the fertilizers, the costly inputs that keep farmers as debt serfs. And then it also shows how when we actually do these practices, like we stop tilling, we stop using pesticides, we keep the ground covered, we integrate animals, we farm in context, that when we do that, we can draw down that teraton of carbon we've emitted and stabilize the climate. And look, we don't all have to agree about climate change. In fact, we don't agree about climate change. I come from a legacy farming family in the Midwest. And so this is definitely not a conversation I dive into with my dad, but we can agree on the weather. And farmers are the people who are on the front lines of dealing with bad weather. And farming can create microclimates. Farming can regulate small water cycles. And so when we learn that we really do affect our environment, even if it's just the small environment on our farm, then we realize the power we have to affect the macro, not just the micro, when we all start farming in this way, we start building resilient topsoil that can infiltrate and hold water like a sponge instead of running off into ditches, suddenly we begin to see the possibility within a few short years, not only of stabilizing the climate, but also putting dollars back into farmers' pockets. I want to thank you very much. That's a fabulous response. Let's back up a little bit. You have created a film production company called Big Picture Ranch, and it's located in 
Ojai, California, which is where you live in California, after growing up in the Midwest and a farming family. Now then, you were first in the movies as a child actor, correct? Yes. When I was eight years old, I was cast in the Christmas classic film Prancer. And I was the little girl um, that starred in that movie with Sam Elliott and Abe Vigoda and Michael Constantine. And funny enough, Prancer really is the story of a family that's a farming family. And they're wrestling with the struggles of what it means to be a small-scale farmer and, and the, the, the daily hardship that that can entail. And so it's really a, a story about a father and his daughter and how they heal their relationship. And that, for me, put me on a path of realizing the power of storytelling, the power that film can have in reaching so many people and touching their hearts and opening them up to new ideas. And so at a very early age, I knew that my life was going to be dedicated to making films that touched people's hearts. And when I came out to Hollywood, when I was 18, I was cast in a bunch of horror movies, actually, like in, I was either a victim or I was eye candy. And finally, I was starring in this horrible sci-fi horror movie by uh, Clint Barker horror movie. And I was giving birth to this giant squid alien baby on the basement floor of a monastery that was then trying to eat me. And I was covered in gas of goo. And this is in the early 2000s. And I knew in that moment, it was time for a career change. I knew that my purpose in Hollywood wasn't to continue to propagate the violence and the fear, but really my job here was to bring a voice to important issues that affect humanity and to shine a light on pathways for people to get involved and to take action. So shortly after that, I met my husband, Josh DeKal. He, I had actually seen on the Today Show, he helped to jumpstart the biodiesel movement back in the 90s. He wrote a book called From the Fryer to the Fuel Tank. That was a best-selling book that taught people how to make biodiesel from um, used cooking oil from food restaurants and also how to convert their cars to run on straight vegetable oil. He had grown up in a part of Louisiana known as Cancer Alley, and he had seen the health not impacts. Known. It's not past tense. It's current still there sadly mm -hmm. and so he knew firsthand you know firsthand the pollution and the destruction of the oil and gas industry and so he wanted to create a solution for people to empower them to get out to get off big oil and i was so inspired by him and then i met him um doing some volunteer work in uh los angeles in 2005 and it was love at first sight and then I saw the veggie van and then I was a goner and that was 20 movies ago. So let's back in, we got engaged in 2007 and we made our first film called Fuel that went on to win the Sundance Audience Award in 2008. And we continued making films about oil and conscious capitalism. And so about 20 films, 19 films in, we realized you know what? Soil really has the power to change the world. And I mean, gosh, if there wasn't anything harder or duller to make a movie about than oil, then, you know, soil would definitely be it. But fortunately, along the way, we've made many friends here in Hollywood. And with our film Kiss the Ground that came out in 2020 um, that I mentioned earlier, um, that was narrated by Woody Harrelson. And this new film, Common Ground, 
it's a love letter to our children. Josh and I have two children and it's a love letter to all children and all future generations that basically says, you know what? We've really messed up the climate through farming and other means, oil and gas being another way that we've done that. But good news, there's a pathway out of it and it's called regeneration. We can regenerate our planet and our bodies, our country um, through how we care for our soil. And then it's a promise. We're going to fight like hell to save their future. And the narration of the film is read by Jason Momoa, Woody Harrelson, Rosario Dawson, Laura Dern, Donald Glover, Ian Somerhalder. I mean, it's an incredible group of parents who have a huge reach and they're reading this letter to their children. But I think the real heroes and the real stars of the movie are the farmers that we feature, including Gabe Brown. We we show Ray Archuleta, who is in our film, Kiss the Ground, and he'll be on your show shortly. Um, and many other farmers in the Midwest, including the Iowa tribe that's there in Kansas um, that are practicing regenerative agriculture. And they show how within one year of integrating regenerative practices, farmers are over 80% of farmers are making a profit that's incredible. I mean, the farmers who are basically the debt serfs to a broken system can break free of that through integrating these five very simple practices called regenerative agriculture. And that's why Gabe Brown is on the movie poster wearing a cape. I, he he did not like that, to be fair to him. That was not mm-hmm. his idea, but he let us do it. Um, because farmers really are heroes. They really are the ones who are out there growing food for people who don't even realize where food comes from. And they're locked into this system that forces them to continue to spray. And it doesn't have to be that way. Farmers can make a profit and they can grow nutrient dense food and they can care for the land. And that really is what they want to do. Well, Rebecca Tickell, you are doing it. Now then tell our listeners your website. People can check out, yes, Uh well, I I definitely recommend going to commongroundfilm.org, commongroundfilm.org. You can check out the screenings that are um, listed on the website. You can also request a screening in your town. Um, And for those of you who want to watch something right away, I mean, definitely watch the trailer to Common Ground, commongroundfilm.org. Um, But you can also, if you have Netflix, you can watch Kiss the Ground on Netflix. And that's a great primer um, while you wait for Common Ground to come to a theater near you. But I I definitely recommend it. I think people in Kansas and surrounding areas will love it because it shows how you can bring so much abundance into your community. You can help farmers, you can get healthy, and you can create a thriving ecosystem. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. Kansas is currently a desert because of modern agriculture practices. And Missouri, that's a state that gets a lot more rain, but nothing will be growing under the soil. The indiscriminate use of chemicals is just going to destroy everything that can grow. Uh, So on our hour today, we're opening with you Then we'll speak with Ray Archuleta. He's a soil scientist. And finally, we're lucky because Carrie Gillum, an investigative reporter. She wrote um, The the, uh, Whitewashed, 
And she wrote the Monsanto Papers, which are two brilliant books that talk about how basically it's the playbook for how chemical companies have been corrupting our food system. For their own profits. For their own profits, knowing fully that these are toxic chemicals, advising their own staff to wear protective gear, meanwhile telling everyone that it's safe to drink. Now then, if anyone is interested in other films that you've made, does Big Picture Ranch have a website? Yes, you can check out our work at bigpictureranch.com. That's bigpictureranch.com. But again, go to commongroundfilm.org to get all the latest news on regeneration and what's happening with the movement. That's where I would start. And well, and before we end, you have one coming up. So what is your next film production? Well, we have two, we've got two films coming up right now. We're racing to finish a film about how we can save pollinators and bees. Um, And we'll be premiering that um, next year. It will show a rough cut at COP28 um, in early December. And then our next big soil film is called Groundswell. And that is the global story of regeneration and how we can, how we saved ourselves. Well, good on you. I recently watched the Earthshot Awards that came out of Great Britain. It was kind of like the Oscars of environmental work. And I'm sure they have a category for making great environmental films. And I would nominate Big Picture Ranch. And I thank you for being on Eco Radio. Oh, thank you for having us. You know what? King Charles actually phoned us up and invited us to go. And so he's in our next film. He's a regenerative, he practices regenerative agriculture and he's a big fan of Kiss the Ground and of Common Ground. So uh, we were we were happy to oblige and go over there and film with him, which was a once in a lifetime experience. Right. But honestly, it's being with you and being with, you know, my fellow rural Americans. I grew up on a farm. It's that's really where my heart is. And I love having these conversations. Thank you so much for doing this show with us and for talking to me. Thank you for being on. Did you know your business or organization could be sponsoring this episode of Eco Radio KC? Learn more at kkfi.org slash marketing. If you or someone you know is suffering from thoughts of suicide, you can dial the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988 or go to 988lifeline.org. This is a public service announcement of 90.1 FM KKFI. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizerwitz, and this is Climate Connections. Teenagers at some Illinois high schools are now taking driver's education classes in electric cars. EVs are the future. I mean, it's something that we can get these kids ready to use. Greg Mitchell is the driver's ed director at Lang Tech College Prep, a public high school in Chicago. The school recently added an EV to its fleet of cars using a grant from ComEd, the local electric utility. The utility's EVs for Education program has allowed more than a dozen schools to buy electric cars and chargers for their driver's ed programs over the past few years. Mitchell says driving an electric car is not that different than driving a gas-powered car, so the students generally learn the same basic skills. But the electric cars do save him time on maintenance. On Fridays, I'm running back and forth to gas up all the cars at the fleet station, whereas right now I can just plug in the EVs and that's it. They're here and they're good to go. 
when it comes to teenagers and cars, some things will never change. I think 16-year-olds are happy to drive any car when they get it. But as the country transitions away from fossil fuels, this program helps students feel comfortable and prepared to drive electric vehicles. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To learn more about climate change, visit climateconnections.org. This is Terry Wilkie, and for this part of our hour, I'm lucky I'm talking to Ray Archuleta. Ray Archuleta is a soil scientist, and he's featured in Common Ground and in the first movie, Kiss the Ground. Ray, thank you for being on Eco Radio. Thank you, Terry, for having me. So on this part of our hour, I want to tell the listeners what they can learn about the importance of regenerative farming and how this impacts each of them. Now, some of our listeners might be riding a tractor right now. I've heard of stranger things than that, but many of them are living in the city And the closest they come to a farm is they go to the store and buy flour, vegetables. So will you start first by introducing yourself, Ray? Tell us your background, what you have done, what you do now, and where you are located. Well, thank you, Terry. Uh, Again, I live in a little small town of Seymour, Missouri. I have a little small ranch. I raise hair sheep. I'm a retired USDA agronomist and soil scientist. I worked for NRCS, used to be called Soil Conservation Service, for about 30 years. And so I'm retired and I go around, consult, and teach all over the world. And we teach about regenerative agriculture. And people ask, well, what is regenerative agriculture? And I say, very simple. It's an agriculture that asks nature how she does business. It's It's an agriculture that emulates the natural system. So it's a really simple definition. How does nature farm? How does she do business? Because most farmers and ranchers, and even I didn't, uh, you know, I've forgotten that really the farm and ranch came out of the prairie or came out of the forest. And they both function the same way. They all run on biodiversity and they really want to um, be facilitated and managed, not to be intrusive towards it. It's it's about approach. So regenerative agriculture is about an approach on how can we emulate the natural system? And that's a great way in how to make the natural system work for us so that we can have, if we have a healthy soil, we end up with a healthy plant, with a healthy animal, healthy human, and a healthy climate. It's, all these things are connected. And that's one of the things we teach in regenerative agriculture, how all these things are intimately connected. Well, thank you for that. But now then let's go back and talk about what we have been doing. What has been the status quo? How is conventional farming done? And when you were working with the USDA, which you worked for soil conservation. So someplace along the line, the federal government gave money to the farm bill to establish practices on individual farms so that land did not erode, correct? Isn't that? Yes. Soil yes, conservation. Yes. Was there any... Yeah, it talk- started... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go, no, you go no, ahead. It's, it started in 1935, like you're saying. That's what you're... 
It started with a dust bowl, Terry, and you're right. And I'm sorry for I got so excited, but that's that's what really it started with 1935 and how we can impl- implement more conservation of the land to stop the denigration of our soils. Well, prior to 1935, there were not that many mechanical tractors so that people who farmed had to really kind of work the ground by hand with shovels and sticks and uh, corn planters. Have you seen those spring corn planters? And so you didn't have time to, to disturb the overall soil. You were just going for a row of corn or a row of beans. And then tractors were developed. And so then huge machines were created that just pulled plows. That was the dust bowl. And so a plow is a blade, a metal blade that turns the soil over on itself. And what we used to think is that this tillage, turning the soil over, put this the remains of last year's crop and weeds into the ground, and this was a good thing. So when did we begin to think this is not a good thing? Well, like you said, um, really plowing started even with draft animals. They had a draft animals that would pull the plow. Then it went into a mechanicized, uh, the the gas engine and the diesel engine was discovered, which made it absolutely much more efficient of destroying the soil. And so we got more destructive. (laughs) Yeah, the tractor got really... And really, if you started going back, what happened before the tractor, you'd have draft animals. So you had at least 25% of the land always covered in hay land because you had to feed the mule, you had to feed the animals or whatever was pulling the, uh, the draft animals. So that was a better system because at least you had it 25% of the farm that was actually covered all the time. Right. Well, when let's make sure in. everybody understands hayland, you're saying, is types of grass that grow that you never do remove from the soil. You simply mow, you cut and bale. Okay, you, right. You got it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thank you for Thank that. you, Terry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, because it's really important to understand that the land, a good portion back in the 1800s, of them, a, a good portion of that land was always covered because you had to feed, allow the animals to graze and collect hay. So it protected 25% of that land cover was always covered. Then when the tractor came, the horses started disappearing, the animals started disappearing from the farm, and it all went to plowing the whole surface. And I think it kind of led to a climatic local shift of the local weather because most people don't understand that the the, the climate is connected to the plant and the soil. You can't have climate without a living plant. I tell people... Get rid of every plant on the surface of the planet. What would you have? You'd have death. You wouldn't have a planet. You wouldn't have life. So we need to connect people to understand that having living plants in the soil are, and the plant in the soil are one. So it's really important to understand that. Uh, yeah. Th- having that you. surface covered. Yeah. Right. Thank you. If you will, plants are one thing. They take in carbon dioxide and release oxygen. And humans, animals, we're the opposite. We take in oxygen and release carbon dioxide. So it's a beautiful tandem arrangement. And when we kill the plants from growing, not only the plants that we see, but what we're learning in the modern world is there are plants that are so small, like fungi, and plants that grow under the ground, and we need to have those in place as well. So 
don't till, and then don't use chemicals. Okay, Ray, do not be on Eco Radio for another skinny minute before you say, try to convince the people not to use chemicals. Why not? Why not just if you see something you don't like, kill it? Well, well, first thing is I try to get farmers to understand this important thing. The soil's alive. That's the number one thing. Most of us, even myself, even went to graduate school, I really didn't believe that it was really alive. It's alive. It's the most complex ecosystem on the planet. It's number one. And I tell farmers, the plant is the mouth of the soil. That's how it eats. So it's connected. So it's very, very important to understand those two bridges that plant and soil are one. And then the next thing is I tell farmers, be careful how you use your tools. Be careful how we use the chemicals. And I'm telling farmer, uh, my goal is to work them away slowly from all those chemicals so they can become more profitable. Well, it's expensive to use chemicals. So yes, I would agree with you there. And then, so you have a, watch your tillage, till the minimum that you can, don't use chemicals. And then let's not leave without saying the third, the cover crops. Tell us about cover crops, which is not something that people are really, like if I plant a cover crop, how do I get rid of it to put my crop in? Right, good question, Terry. And um, first, the uh, back to that comment, the, the cover crop is the mouth of the soil, never leaving it. One of the worst things you can do for your soil is to let it starve. It doesn't eat without turning the sun into liquid sun and feeding the array of microbes. And it's the microbes that create the aggregates and the nutrient cycling. They run the system. So how do we how do we control the cover crop? First, I like to call cover crops service crop. They service the microbes, they service the animals, they service all the biodiversity, they service the bank, they service everybody. When you get that soil healthy and functioning by pumping more sun into it, it functions better. And so another thing is how do we terminate it? We can term- terminate it with a crimper roller and without any chemicals. And then what we do is when you use more cover crops, we have less problems with weeds. So we end up using less herbicide. So it's kind of a win-win, really, by using cover crops. That's why if I had one thing to tell farmers, if I had to do it in my own, and I do it on my own farm, is cover the soil and have a living plant 24-7. And so that living plant can grow between the rows. Let's pretend we're growing soybeans. And so we could just put the bean seeds in rows and leave the the cover crop growing in between. Now then, do we have enough water to support all these plants in the field? That's another reason we've gone to this very select way of farming is we want all the water to go to our crop so we have big crop yields. And one of the things, the biggest inhibition has been water, especially in the drier places like Kansas. But what I'm saying, you can't save water until you use water. In other words, plants use water. When the plants start, if we use more rotations and we have more cover crops and we can let the animals graze it, but we're building, what we're doing is we're building more organic matter, more structure. And then when we do get the rains, it'll infiltrate better and hold more water. But you can't do that without plants. Corn and soybean will not work. It leaves too much bare ground. 
So when the soybeans out, what do we see when we drive through Kansas? Bare ground. You're not feeding soil. It's not eating. You're not building organic matter. You're not feeding microbes. It's a no-win situation. So really, in the more brittle environments, I recommend that if you have grazing animals, you can graze the cover crop mix, feed the cows, and yet also feed the crop, build more organic matter, and then you start having a more resilient farm. They go all hands in hand together. Thank you for that. That's exactly the way to do it. So I hate to tell you that we are almost out of time for our section, but I won't let you go, Ray, before you tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you. Do you give presentations where you talk for a longer period of time to people who are interested in regenerative farming? Yes. Thank you, Terry. Yes, I go all over the world. Uh, I just got back from I was in Brazil, Venezuela, Guatemala, uh, Uganda. I've been all over, and I've been in every state. So they can get a hold of me next month. I will have my website up, and they'll be able to get my uh, get a hold of me and just say, type in Ray the Soil Guy, and the, my website will come up, and they'll be able to see. I'll have my my schedule, and they'll be able to find out where I'm at because this regenerative agriculture movement is getting very very popular with farmers because. What it does, it allows them to reduce all these costly inputs and what's causing our farmers to go broke. And so the farmers are really, really excited because the farmers that go down this path has absolutely changed their lives. And they, I've had farmers say, now, Ray, I love farming because I'm making money and the money's going to me and not all the tool makers, the people that make the equipment, the people that make the pesticides and the fertilizer and the herbicides. And I'm not saying that we don't need those tools. I just, I'm saying is we have to be careful how we use those tools so that we don't kill our soils. That's what we're saying. And if you learn how to mimic nature, that works out really, really well. So my name's Terry Wilkie, and I'm talking to Ray Archuleta. He's the soil guy. And I want to repeat what you just said, Ray. If we learn how to mimic nature, if we grow things as things naturally grow, we'll all be better and healthier for it. He's one of the people featured in Common Ground, a great documentary yes. that showed just this last weekend in the Kansas City area and will continue to show around the world. And you were also in Kiss the Ground, right, Ray? And I see that mm -hmm. that's available on Netflix. Yes, ma'am. So if anyone is interested in regenerative farming and how we have great hope for our future then I really encourage everyone to check that out. Thank you so much for being on Eco Radio, Ray. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I Hello, this is Joseph Jackson. Join me on Caltown Conversations, where we will discuss matters that impact your life as a resident of the Kansas City metropolitan area. Every Thursday morning at 9 a.m., right after Democracy Now! Are you passionate about making a difference in your community? So are we. KKFI's Community Voices series is dedicated to featuring local individuals and organizations that are driving positive change. If you have a story to share or initiative that you want to showcase, we invite you to submit your information at kkfi.org slash community voices. Together, let's amplify your impact and inspire others to join the movement. Join us on Community Voices and to share the positive differences made in our communities. This is Terry Wilkie, and for the last part of our program, I am so lucky, listeners. My guest is Carrie Gillum. 
a journalist, author, and a public interest researcher. She's been involved with many environmental groups and issues, and perhaps some regular listeners heard her on Eco Radio in October of 2019, shortly after the publication of her first Monsanto book, Whitewash. Welcome, Carrie. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, having you back, I'm delighted to have you back on Eco Radio because at the time, in October of 19, you were involved with a group called U.S. Right to Know. You tell me you're no longer with that group. You want to tell our listeners what you're doing other than writing books. What are you doing these days? <laughs> sure. Thanks. I'm I'm pretty much doing the same thing I've done for 30 years. You know, I've been a journalist. I uh, spent 17 years at Reuters, the international news agency, covering agriculture, farming and food and environment. And then I went to U.S. Right to Know, which was a nonprofit that did research into things we need to know about, right? And food and agriculture is what I focused on there. And wrote my first book, Whitewash, that you mentioned. Thank you. And uh, then I wrote a second book um, called The Monsanto Papers and uh, left to go start a new environmental news outlet uh, that we call The New Lead. It's part of the Environmental Working Group. They funded it and backed it, thankfully. <laughs> and uh, I also write pretty regularly for The Guardian, which is a London-based international news organization with a big U.S. presence. And uh, just continuing to cover the environment and try to write about and expose things I think are important for public health and environmental health. As I said, you published Whitewash in 2017, and Whitewash, the title, that's because it's only about Monsanto, correct? It's And their products, correct? Well, Whitewash really did, yes, focus on glyphosate, uh, which is the world's most widely used weed killer. Most people know it as the main ingredient in Roundup. It was about Monsanto and about glyphosate and how they had whitewashed or covered up a lot of scientific information about the risks of the product, but it also spoke to the larger issue um, that I have seen over my 30 years that you know a lot of pesticides and chemicals that we are exposed to uh, in our environment are, are much more harmful than we know about and have been whitewashed. Um, so, and I like to talk about glyphosate in that, in that frame that it's the most widely used. It's in our air, our water, our soil, it's in our bodies. They find it frequently in urine, um, but it is really sort of the poster child for the much bigger problem that we face with unmitigated pesticide use uh, throughout our environment. And it, and it truly is, the science shows us that it truly is affecting not only environmental health, but causing an array of, of problems with our own health. Well, pesticides and herbicides, one kills plants, one kills insects, but both of them are indiscriminate killers. They stop life. They stop life on a cellular level. They stop life in a small cell organism like microbes and fungus. Now, there are people who have sued Monsanto for having cancers caused by glyphosate, and they have won. And I'm not sure that anybody has been successful with advancing any sort of claim that said, Roundup killed me, glyphosate killed me. But there is no doubt that it shows negative effects. Do you want to say a few words about how these effects manifest in the general population? 
Yeah, for sure. And I and I also want to just a little lesson, I guess, for your listeners so that we don't get a lot of reader mail, which I have in the past. Um, people do send, team, seem to be confused. An herbicide such as glyphosate is a pesticide. Um, a pesticide legally and for regulatory purposes is anything that kills a plant pest. And that's weeds, it's insects, it's uh, diseases, it's actually rodents, rodenticides are considered pesticides. So that is the big umbrella. When I speak of pesticides, I'm talking about that whole array of different types of synthetic chemicals. Um, and in terms of glyphosate, though, yeah, there have been a number of jury verdicts that have been built on the scientific research, epidemiology research, as well as uh, laboratory animal or toxicology research that shows um, how it affects different aspects of our body um, and cellular changes. And we have not only the International Agency for Research on Cancer that's weighed in and said it's a probably human carcinogen, but we have a number of independent scientists as well over the years. So we just have had um, four recent jury verdicts. There were three very early on, and there have been four in the last, gosh, six weeks, seven weeks, totaling more than $500 million in awards ordered um, for Bayer, which now owns Monsanto, to pay people who have been suffering uh, from non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And I think you're you're correct that all of the plaintiffs who have won money are still alive, um, but there are many, many, many plaintiffs in this national litigation who have died and their families are continuing to carry on uh, their lawsuits. Um, and the central theme of these lawsuits is that uh, the plaintiffs allege that they developed non-Hodgkin lymphoma, which is a, is a blood cancer, but really blood has many cancer. different aspects of it um, that can manifest. And the science is pretty strong uh, on non-Hodgkin lymphoma, but there is also science tying glyphosate specifically to reproductive health problems, um, to affecting the gut in, in the microbial system uh, in the human body. Um, there's a, a lot of evidence that it's an endocrine disruptor, which affects the hormones in the body. Um, there's new science right now that is emerging out of a, a global glyphosate study that's being done in Italy by a number of scientists from around the world who are participating in that. And they've been presenting information in Europe um, to regulators there. So, you know, we're still learning. It's always an evolving process to understand the impacts of these chemicals, unfortunately, because in the US and in many places throughout the world, you're not required to definitively prove a chemical is safe before it's put on the market. Rather, the burden is on is on regulators to prove it's unsafe um, or someone else to bring forward evidence that it's unsafe. And that's a that's a difficult bar, especially when you're going up against very powerful companies who, as I laid out in my book and, and as you see in other other reports, these very powerful companies control the regulatory system, they control the legislative system, and they, to a very extensive degree, control what scientific literature um, is out there and is published and is promoted. So, you know, it's it's a world where the chemical companies uh, really are able to push out products that are not proven safe at all. 
Well, what is the point of your newer book, published 2021, the Monsanto Papers? Now, Whitewash is kind of a, the opening book about the issues of glyphosate. And then Monsanto Papers, like Pentagon Papers, I guess you're alluding to. What is that? Yeah, so Whitewash um, came out and, and got great acclaim and won some awards and uh, it got me invited to speak to the European Parliament and in other countries around the world. But it was a, it's a very sort of heavy read. It's academic, there's a lot of science, there's a lot of history, and there's a lot of regulatory sort of, you know, discussion in there. Um, academics love it. You know, it's been picked up by universities to use in curriculum Um but it's a heavy read. It's not for everyone, right? And so the Monsanto Papers is is a completely different read. It's very general audience friendly. It tells you the story really of the first person to go to trial against Monsanto, a man who was dying of non-Hodgkin lymphoma after a really just tragic, extraordinarily unusual accident, which he was doused in the chemical and his whole body became covered in cancerous lesions. Uh, and he was, and it was very sad. It's a very sad story. He was young. He had two young boys, um, and he goes up against this very powerful company. And as I was watching this unfold in real time, and and getting to know the people who were involved in this, um, it just there were so many crazy things that happened. I thought it has to be a movie, and I couldn't make a movie, but I could write another book, and and I did that. And the Monsanto Papers speaks to the internal Monsanto records that came out as evidence in that case. Thank you for that. And thank you for saying movie, because our show today is about a movie. And it is from the producers of that movie that you were offered as a guest to tell listeners about the film Common Ground. Now, are you in Common Ground? I'm in the film, yes. Yes. Uh -huh. And so what's the message? That's about regenerative agriculture. And one of their aspects, it's like one, two, three, don't till the soil, use cover crops, don't use chemicals. Is that where you come in advocating not using chemicals? Not really. I think that they wanted my voice in there because of my experience and, and research on the corporate control of agriculture and Monsanto's ability to dominate the conversation and the direction and, and public policy on agriculture. And, and certainly, yeah, regenerative agriculture is very much within the same vein of what, what I'm writing about. You know, we are using these chemicals, glyphosate and other pesticides, we are killing the soil and we're and we're killing pollinators that we need for our food and we're polluting our water and our air and we're making we're, ourselves sick. Mm -hmm. and we're making ourselves sick and common ground speaks to how we come together and need to come together communally to solve these problems. So, you know, not just for, it's not for farmers' benefit necessarily, it's for the benefit of all of us. And, um, you know, unless we do that, we're really in trouble um, going forward and our kids are going to suffer because of it. And many people are listening who are not in the Kansas City area. So that website is commongroundfilm.org that gives a list of where it can be viewed and allows people to ask for it to be brought to their community for a screening. 
And then how can people contact you and learn more about your, well, Wikipedia, Carrie, your, your, really, your work is really getting you some notoriety. You can simply Google Carrie Gillum. I'm, I'm very proud to know you, but would you want to go ahead and give a contact information? Sure. Thank you. And I always, I always cringe a little when you say Google me because there's a lot that the chemical companies have put out there that is not so friendly about me. But uh, <laughs> yes, I, I run the new lead, which is L-E-D-E. It's a new news outlet um, funded by the Environmental Working Group. And I write for The Guardian. You can Google Guardian and Carrie Gillum. And and I have a website, CarrieGillum.com, where you can find out more about my work and my books. And uh, and please send me, you know, news ideas, story ideas. That's, you know, it's you guys, your listeners who know what we should be writing about. And I appreciate tips. Well, thank you for that. Now then, what are you working on this week? Like, what is your, what do you see as a big environmental issue? Well, there's really so much going on there, hazardous waste, chemical waste, um, where we're putting it, what we're doing when we have all of these, um, you know, chemical explosions and train derailments. Like East Palestine. Mm-hmm. Like East Palestine. And and we talk about cleaning it up. Uh, well, where does it go? Where is it really going? Where is it getting dumped and disposed of? And it's quite often on, you know, disadvantaged communities. And we're looking into that and and some other issues and some other chemical company and pesticide farming issues. So, you know, please do follow us at the new lead and uh, read and and share uh, as you can. Yeah, thank you. We we close out with the news stories. And before I met with you today, I was not aware of new lead. And I will be happy to search that every week to keep people up to date on more things to know about the environment. I think knowledge is power. And I'm speaking to Carrie Gillum, an investigative reporter who I think you agree, correct? Oh, knowledge is power, certainly. And you use that knowledge and you share it and you use it to inform your decisions and uh, hopefully change policy, change the world for the better, right? Thank you for being on Eco Radio, Casey, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Tune in on the first Thursday of every month at 7 p.m. for Next Step Forward, a program highlighting millennials in the KC Metro that are using their talents, businesses, and activism to educate and uplift their communities. Join us for fresh insights, candid conversations, and interviews that will make you think. If you want to learn, laugh, and be empowered, this is the show for you. Join me, Jasmine Jones, every first Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. right here on KKFI. Here's your calendar for the week of December 4th. Common Ground is the sequel to the documentary Kiss the Ground, which inspired the United States Department of Agriculture to put $20 billion towards soil health. Additional screenings of this new documentary Common Ground have been scheduled at the Glenwood Arts Theater in Overland Park. 3707 West 95th Street. The times are Tuesday, December 5th, 515, Wednesday, December 6th, 215 p.m. and 515, Thursday, December 7th, 215 and 515, Wednesday, December 6th at noon, Beekeeping Basics is a webinar. Presenter is Ryan Engel, Golden Prairie District Horticulture Extension Agent, for the K-State Garden Hour series. He covers the equipment you will need, how to source your bees, and what it takes to establish a new colony. The free webinar will be held via Zoom. To learn more and sign up, visit johnson.k-state.edu. 
Wednesday, December 6th, 2 to 4 at the Lakeside Nature Center, 4701 East Gregory Boulevard, is the Box Hollow Trail Work Day. Volunteers will remove bush, honeysuckle, and invasive species. Friday, December 8th, Northeast Kansas City, Kansas, ask us to celebrate our African roots at an event at Nefertiti's 314 Quindaro Boulevard in Kansas City, Kansas. Enjoy music, food, raffle, and community. The theme is Afrofuturism. You can wear your futuristic finest at our Afrofuturistic fashion competition. Starts at 5.30. Saturday, December 9th, 9 to noon, the Brookside Farmer's Winter Market is at H.J.'s Community Center, 6425 Warnell Road, Kansas City, Missouri. Sunday, December 10th, 9 to noon, Camp Lake of the Woods Cleanup at Oakwood Drive in Oldham Road, Kansas City, Missouri. Meet at the entrance. Sunday, December 10th, 9.30, Indian Mound Park Cleanup, Gladstone Boulevard and North Belmont Boulevard, Kansas City, Missouri. Meet at the Overlook to help clean up the park. Go to kcparks.org slash volunteering. My name is Liz. Thanks for staying involved. And thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. Play KKFI. That's all you have to tell your smart speaker to get the news, views, and music you love. My name is Darnell. At the end of our hour, here's some environmental news for the week of December 4, 2023. Democracy Now! reports. World's Meteorological Organization reported 2023 as virtually certain to become the hottest year on record. Warning of worsening wildfires, floods, ice melt, heat waves, and other extreme weather events. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres announced the findings on November 30th as the UN's COP28 climate summit began in Dubai. President Biden will not attend the COP28 summit this year, but Vice President Kamala Harris will be in attendance. This week, the Biden administration launched an auction to sell oil and gas drilling leases. It's just the first in a series of auctions that will take place as the COP28 unfolds. Data from the United States Energy Information Administration shows the Biden administration has surpassed the Trump administration in crude oil production, bringing U.S. production higher than at any other time in history. The Center for Biological Diversity warns that Biden's fossil fuel projects threatens to erase the climate emission progress from the Inflation Reduction Act. An undercover sting operation by the Center for Climate Reporting has exposed a Saudi government plan to artificially raise global oil demand. Reporters posing as oil investors spoke to officials from Saudi Arabia's oil sustainability program who admitted to targeting Africa and Asia with oil and diesel products. As the rest of the world weans itself off fossil fuels, Saudi Arabia, desperate for more customers, turn its sights on Africa. In related news, documents obtained by the Center for Climate Reporting have revealed that the COP28 hosts the United Arab Emirates plan to use the climate talks as an opportunity to strike oil and gas deals with 15 nations. Climate Digest reports. 
We are all familiar with product labels such as Fair Trade, Vegan, and Energy Star. These labels help us to make educated purchase decisions. You may have noticed products with carbon labels that you do not know. Let's take a look at some of the labels. Carbon neutral means that a company removes an equal amount of carbon that it emits. Climate neutral is a higher standard than carbon neutral, which is a achieved when a company reduces its greenhouse gas emissions to zero while also eliminating all other negative environmental impacts for which it is responsible. Net zero emission means all greenhouse gas emissions, not just carbon, are balanced against the greenhouse gases removed from the atmosphere. EcoWatch reports, the largest iceberg in the world, A23A, which at 1,500 square miles is about three times as big as New York City, has broken off of its anchor on the floor of the Weddell Sea in Antarctica and began to drift toward the Southern Ocean. The year 2023 is already expected to be the hottest on record, but despite this, the U.S. is expected to reach record numbers in fossil fuel productions for the year. Virgin Atlantic has made the first transatlantic flight of a commercial passenger jet powered entirely by sustainable fuel, a mixture of mostly waste fat as well as plant sugars, oil, protein, and fiber. The Kansas Reflector reports, utilities in Kansas and Missouri will have to pull hundreds of thousands of lead pipes out of the ground within 10 years under proposed rules, the Environmental Protection Agency announced on November 30th. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. Please tune in again next week or listen to our podcast at any time. They paid paradise, put up a parking lot. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Eco Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilkie, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Mabian, and you can send inquiries and comments to our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page. Up next is Fiesta Musicale, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone Ooh.